Chapter 12 of The Mystery of the Chinese Ring by Andy Adams This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 12 Shooting the Yangtze Rapids Eerie silence spread over the jungle following the machine gun firing. The jungle was holding its breath. The monkeys, birds, even the cicadas stopped their endless chattering and calling for several moments. Chuba sat rigid, his fists clenched, as fear tore at his nerves. Biff! What had happened to his friend Biff? What could he do? What was there to do? The question whirled in his head. No sensible answers came. If he went back down the trail toward the river, he might run into the guards, still prowling, ready to let loose their deadly spray of bullets at the slightest strange sound or movement. But what about Biff? Had those shots been directed at him, and had they reached him? Chuba shuddered at the thought. After waiting as long as his worried mind would permit him, Chuba decided to investigate. On his stomach, he wormed his way toward the path. At the edge of the brush, he stopped. For minutes, he lay still, listening, listening, straining his ears to catch any sound that might warn him of the guard's presence. It's all right, he told himself, trying desperately to rebuild his courage. They've gone back to the clearing. It's safe for me to explore. Just as Chubbish snaked his body halfway out of the trail, he tensed. He heard a noise behind him. Not much of a noise, only the faintest rustle in the brush. Quickly the native boy worked his way backward off the trail. Again he heard the noise, slightly louder this time. An animal, a snake... Chuba knew that his knife, long and sharp as it was, would be little protection against a jungle animal, and even less against guards armed with rapid-fire weapons. Then he caught another faint sound, soft, so soft as to be barely heard. Yow, yowie, silence, then slightly louder. Yow, yow. Chuba's face brightened. Cool, cool, he answered. Chuba was the one word whispered in reply to his crow call. The native boy wiped his forehead with his forearm and sighed in relief. It was Biff. It had to be. Biff was all right. Biff? Chuba called in a squeaky voice. The boy scrambled to the edge of the trail again. He looked carefully to his right, down the trail towards the river. Then he looked left, where the Comanche call had been sounded. He saw Biff's stained face poke out of the bushes about ten feet away. A big grin showed white teeth even whiter against his brown face. The two boys wasted no time in talk. They made tracks and fast away from the river, away from the border guard. After an hour of steady travelling, Chuba darted off the main path, following a little used one deep into the bush. We rest here, Chuba said, gasping for breath. Okay by me, said Biff. It seemed to him that every bone, every muscle in his body ached. The struggle through the jungle growth, the tension of making the river crossing, had worn both boys out. Both were only too happy to stretch out and let their bodies regain strength. So this is China, Biff said wearily. He sat up, dug into his bundle, and took out a small bottle of antiseptic. This he rubbed over the scratches on his legs and arms. He handed the bottle to Chuba. Then he took out a large tube of insect repellent. Flies and mosquitoes had formed a small cloud around the two. What happened? Chuba asked. 
I heard much gun shoots. I worry. I think maybe they shoot Biff. They tried to, Chuba. I fooled him, though. How you do this? Well, I got across the river all right without being seen. Those guards really jumped when they heard you call. I'd gone maybe fifty feet down the trail on this side when I heard the guards coming back out of the brush, back to the trail. So I dived into a thicket and crawled away from the trail. I don't know how long I waited. Then I heard the guards getting nearer the spot where I was hiding. They almost find you. Darn near it. I don't believe they could have been more than ten feet from me at one time. That's when I figured I had to do something. I found a stick about three feet long and as thick as your arm. I heard the guards talking to one another. Then I hurtled the stick as far as I could. It crashed in the brush, made quite a noise. Just what I wanted. The guards rushed back down the trail towards the spot where the stick landed. Then they opened up. That's the shooting you heard. Chuba smiled. I bet they cut big hole in underbrush with those bullets. But we fooled them, Chuba. We got across. Now we better get moving again, the boy was suddenly very businesslike. Not far from here is small village. When we get there, we take main road. Now we're inside China, no more have to take to secret trails and paths. We're just two Chinese beggar boys. By nightfall, the boys had reached the crumbling grey wall surrounding a small village. In this village, said Chuba, lives the young brother of my father. He will give us shelter for the night. The boys passed through the village gate. Biff saw a small rust-stained cannon seemingly hanging down from the wall on one side of the gate. At the other side, another cannon lay in the dirt at the base of the wall. It had long since broken away from its emplacement. Once, many years ago, these cannon protected the village from the raids of bandits. But now the wall was crumbling in many places, and the city was open to anyone wishing to enter. Biff and Chuba made their way along a narrow dirt street, lined with small houses made of thatch and mud. Men, women and children, all poorly dressed, moved back and forth, at times filling the street until it was difficult for the boys to make their way. They reached the end of the street, a distance of not much more than a quarter of a mile. Chuba cut off to his left towards a house standing just inside the grey wall, but somewhat removed from the other houses. The house of my uncle, Chuba said, pointing. Biff was glad to leave the street. It was littered with trash, and the smells were sickening. When we are inside the house of my uncle, you must not say a single word, Chuba warned. I do not want even him to know you are America, boy. I tell him you can hear, but cannot talk. I tell him we on our way to visit the older brother of my father, he who lives on the banks of the Yangtze River. The house was roughly made of earthen bricks and thatched with wheat straw. A small man stood at the entrance to the house. The doorway was closed only by a drooping cloth, sewn together from several grain bags. Chuba bowed low as he approached his uncle. They spoke together rapidly. Biff, of course, could not understand a single word spoken. Chuba turned to him. My uncle welcomes us. He says we may sleep here and he will feed us. Come, we go in. The floor of the house was earth, worn smooth and packed hard by the feet of three generations of the uncle's family. A Chinese woman looked at the boys as they entered, but spoke no word of greeting. She was the uncle's wife. Two children, each younger and smaller than Chuba, stared at the boys, their eyes round with wonder at seeing strangers. Chuba's uncle spoke to his wife. 
Minutes later, she brought both the boys a small portion of rice, served in an earthen saucer. The rice had little or no flavour for Biff, but it was hot and he ate every grain. Night had fallen. The only light came from the fire in the open oven set in one wall of the house. The uncle spoke again to Chuba, and the boy nodded and motioned Biff to follow. The uncle took them into a small room which was to be their sleeping room. There were only three rooms in the house. Biff looked about him. The room was bare except for one low bench standing in the centre. They would sleep that night on the dirt floor, and sleep they did, as if they were in the most comfortable beds ever made. At dawn, with another small bowl of rice to warm their stomachs, the boys were on their way again. The boys crossed the plateau of Yunnan and reached Chaik Chiang on the Yangtze River. This was the small town where the older brother of Chuba's father lived. From this uncle, Chuba borrowed a crudely built small boat, held together with wire and wooden pegs. Two cumbersome, double-bladed oars would be the power. The boat was to be left at San Hiango, a village about 100 miles west of Chungking. Chuba's uncle would get it on his next trip to the large city. The Yangtze River rising out of the mountains of Tibet on its 3,500-mile course to the Yellow Sea, flows swiftly in the western part of China. The ugly yellow water roars through chasms, with lofty crags on either side rising 300 feet high. The little boat, Biff in the bow, Chuba in the stern, raced along like a small chip of wood. It was fun at first, after the tiring days of fighting their way through the jungle on foot, they sped through gorges, putting mile after mile behind them. As they neared San Hiango, the river widened. Boiling white water told Biff that they were getting into shallower water. A roar from ahead told him they were approaching rapids. They shot the first three rapids without trouble, then entered a broad, smooth stretch of water where they drifted slowly with the current. Rounding a sharp bend, Biff again heard the roar of white water. This time the roar was louder than before. The small craft suddenly picked up speed. The boat plunged into the swirling, dashing water and was tossed about as if it were a twig. Time and again it seemed the boat would crash on a huge boulder. Each time the current swirled it around just in time to prevent a smash-up. Looking ahead, Biff could see the end of the rapid. The round swell of the water was a warning. Falls ahead. There must be a drop of several feet, Biff figured. He couldn't see directly beyond the falls. All that was visible was a broad body of water beyond, smooth, quiet, wide enough to be a small lake. There was nothing to do but pray that the boat would get safely over the falls and into the calm water beyond. Hold on, Chuba, Biff called. Oars were useless now. The boat was caught up in a natural spillway, a narrow, fast-moving path of water which shot over the falls and plunged downward. The boat shot over the spillway. For moments it seemed to hang in mid-air, then it hit the water below with a bone-jarring smack. We made it, Biff cried jubilantly, turning to look back at Chuba. Chuba had disappeared. He had been thrown out of the boat as it leapt over the falls. Biff spotted his friend's head in the water, twenty feet this side of the falls. "'Have a good swim, Chuba,' Biff shouted gaily. "'I'll wait for you.' Biff reset the oars and leaned them on his knees. "'Hey, Chom, not so much splash.' 
Biff's happy call faded out. Chuba was floundering in the water. His arms stopped thrashing and his head went out of sight. Then it bobbed into view, only to sink a second time. With a start, Biff realized Chuba couldn't swim. End of chapter 12